Today we're going to be talking about making income as a composer in a way that maybe you haven't thought of before. And hello everybody, welcome to episode 4 of the Musician Toolkit. I am your host David Lane. It is great to be with you today. We have a long but very informative episode that I can't wait to share with you. Um, so we're going to get to it very soon. First of all, let me just thank Fonz, our sponsor, and you can find a link to them in the show notes. This is all. This is for you if you have a private studio of any kind. It's a free. It's a free trial. Check it out in the show notes. There are many ways that you can get an income as a composer. Notice I don't say make a living. Um, there are few ways you can make a living as a composer, and sometimes it involves you being in like the top 1% of a certain group, such as being a film composer, video game composer. Uh, you know, there are a few concert composers that can do that. There are some theater composers. But in talking about being a well-rounded musician, there is another way that you can also explore as a composer, even if, you know, you don't say that I am a composer is the main thing that you do, but it's part of what you do, or it's something that you're interested in doing. It's something you'd like to become better at because, um, the ability to compose is one of the 20 musician tools that needs to be in your toolkit that you should explore. I'm going to be talking to Bruce Tippett today about composing for commercial sheet music. We'll talk more about what that is, but it's mainly music that you, that would be for education purposes or for religious purposes. It's music that you would uh, publish for church, for a choir, for handbells, for school band, for school orchestra. And there's a need out there. And part of the need is that a lot of composers, it's, it's a good thing, but you know, we're always thinking big and we're thinking about, you know, the big concert stage and the big film score, video game score, being on Broadway. But if you compose, there's a lot of places where you can be used and used well. And what better place than to provide good quality music for young musicians and for those who are in church music ensembles. It's a way to get your music out there for people who need it and also to generate uh, some passive income through royalties and as Bruce is going to talk about, sometimes those connections, those relationships can lead to some active income through commissions. Bruce is going to be talking about two of the musicianship tools today that, that will apply to this whole conversation. And that, of course, is the ability to compose, but also, uh, and we kind of save it toward the end, but business skills. Because you, you have to have a little bit of savviness anytime that you're trying to sell your music, however that goes. But I also want to highlight Bruce as a musician. We've already had this interview that I'm about to present. And I just went through and, you know, just counted some of the tools besides the two that I mentioned that we're talking about. He, in his own life, makes use of piano skills, vocal skills. Uh, he has mastery of a, of a primary instrument. He has experience with other instruments. He has knowledge of music theory. He uh, has a well-trained ear. And he has the ability to teach. And I'm sure that there's others that he makes use of, but those are the ones that we talked about. And actually, he also talks about, um, you know, leading a musical. So that is the ability to conduct. So he is a well-rounded musician who is a full-time musician, 
and that is that is making his income from a variety of ways. And one of those ways that I wanted to talk to him was composing for this certain type of music and getting published and using those connections to get the opportunity to compose on commission. So now, again, going into this episode, you might not say I'm a composer with a capital C, but if you're listening to this podcast, you know it's important to not shut the door on any of these skills, but to explore it. So be have an open mind and just know that this is a way that you might consider adding a little income, building some relationships, and exploring the creative side of being a musician. So we're going to get right to it. This is my conversation that I had earlier with Bruce Tippett. Bruce, thanks for joining me on the Musician Toolkit. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? All right. doing. I'm doing fine. Thank you for being guest number one on the Musician Toolkit, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to talk about today. Um, I guess oh. just as a means of introduction, um, you know, I, one of the things that I thought about, before, you know, earlier today was how there's very few people in this world when when you ask them what they what they do that they can be really specific you know like i think you know a lot of us can say i'm a musician and that covers you know or i'm a you know i'm a i'm a teacher i'm a music teacher you know there's a lot of things that we can do but it doesn't co- cover every aspect of your income you know uh, unless you're you know one of the top 3% 4% of film composers video game composers right. or if you're <laughs> If your name is, you know, John Adams or uh, John Corleano, you know, if it's if it's someone like that that can get six figures on a commission and <laughs> that's right and, and, and get tons of royalties, yeah. <laughs> uh, but mo- you know, that's kind of the idea. of This podcast is, uh, you know, what if you're not one of those two, three, four percent, or whatever the statistic is, and you you want to make a living as a musician. So, you know, what what makes up, uh, I like what one previous guest said, it was an income quilt. You know, what, what goes into your income I, quilt? Oh, that's, that's good. Um, so, my biggest part of it is I'm a, I'm an educator, mm-hmm. and, you know, originally I taught, I taught high school chorus, for a few years and I took a break and um, I went back to school and became a stay-at-home parent. And now I'm back into teaching full-time and I'm teaching uh, preschool and elementary school music. So general music. um, And yeah, I'm going literally, you know, I've had some people ask me, Mm -hmm. I'll say, yeah, I work with the babies. They're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, I have two-year-olds like full on baby. So yeah um it's yeah I go I go from two-year-olds through fourth grade so on any given day I could see all all the groups (laughs) um so that's one that's one piece of it yep and I am a I'm a church musician um it's funny I my my job just shifted I was a a handbell and youth choir director for a long time and I'm actually I actually I didn't play a lot during the services I, I before that job I, I I led I led a Methodist congregation at the piano but now I have a I have a new job um where I'm I'm just I'm accompanying and I'm I'm leading leading music from either the organ or from the piano um so I've got a rehearsal each week and then a Sunday morning um service 
and sometimes I'll have meetings and practice time for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I teach private piano lessons yep. <laughs> as well <laughs> uh, before and after the normal school day. Um, the school where I work actually has a really neat uh, enrichment program where I can have the students that I teach during the day actually take it's kind of set up in a tutoring, um, mm -hmm. but they're they're getting piano lessons. So I have right. I have students that come at uh, seven forty five to take a piano lesson, mm -hmm. and then I have kids who stay after school to take mm -hmm. a piano lesson. Um, right. And then I am a composer. Yeah. <laughs> and I I write. I write a lot of music right now. I'm, I just finished a commission for a group in New York and then I've moved. I literally went from one to the next. I'm trying desperately to, to meet a deadline for a group here um, in town in Winston-Salem. And I've got, I've got two more weeks. So that's good. I'm, I, I have a double bar. I've got to orchestrate and put expressive details, but it, it's, yeah. I know where, I know where I want it to go. So I, I feel really confident about it. And then I have one more commission for a choral piece that um, is also, she wants it beginning of February and all I have are sketches for that. So that, nice. that's going to be a, that's going to be a whirlwind. Another piece of that, since, you know, we're, we're wanting to get specific here on top of all of that, I have started a, um, a musical theater production at the school where I am. It's actually part of my contract is to do the lower school musical. And we just started rehearsals for frozen. Oh, um, nice. So we, so I'm going, so I, I start in the morning. I have, I have piano lesson. I have school for the day. And then I have, depending on the day, I'll either have piano lessons or I'll have rehearsal for frozen. And then I'll come home, do some family time. And then I'll try to write some music before the end of the day. <laughs> wow. So uh, depending on how long this goes, I may ask you about like time and energy management, because I, I it takes a certain type of, personality temperament energy level to work with preschool kids and yeah. i could and i could i could envision that like zapping you for the day but you have all these other things that you listed and <laughs> that's yeah that sounds um, like a challenge it it is uh i think i i don't know it, it's it's one of those things where the energy level of the kids kind of feeds me mm -hmm. and certainly when when i'm done for the day i'm i am zapped um and for a long time i used to work weekends pretty pretty heavily but i mm -hmm. i don't i don't anymore i used to teach on saturdays and sundays were more than just I, like i would have a service and then rehearsals and then other things in the evening but i don't have i don't have any of that anymore so i do have a little bit of recharge time right on the weekends now uh but it, it's it's certainly it's certainly a lot um I, the, the the classes i teach during the day are relatively short they're they're about 30 minutes each um and i i typically plan like with the preschoolers i i, I kind of have a, a a like a template for 
what my classes are like. And, and this is, you know, a lot of my composition comes into that. I, I, I had some, like during Halloween, I was like, you know, there's not really a Halloween song that I'm really crazy about. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to write them a Halloween song. So I just did a very simple, we're going to spell the word Halloween and what time is it? And I, I had some uh, minor chords with it on the ukulele and they loved it. And it was, and we performed it and, you know, it was super fun and it, it didn't, it didn't take a lot of time to write it, but it, it, it was a great way for them not only to learn how to spell <laughs> Halloween, right. But they just, they had fun doing it. And so they were learning and also having fun. And I got to do something that I wanted to do with them because I, I ended up writing it for them. Mm -hmm. So just kind of using all of those skills all together, you know, I, I, I find that I do a lot of writing for my, for my students more so than, than I think I thought I was going to do for them Yeah, because I, I have it at my disposal, you know? Right. And it's, it's, it's great. You know, if something's not working or something, I want something really specific or I, or I know, I know what their capabilities are, but there's nothing available specifically that I, that I know that they're going to be able to do. I just, I write it for them and make it work, you know? Well, that sounds awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, just being a composer. Um, in my mind, the ability to compose is one of the 20 tools of musicianship that I've okay. that I've come up with. And, and I think every well-rounded musician is, they could call themselves a composer. Now, when people call themselves a composer, it tends to mean that they're, they're doing it actively to get their music performed or they're making right. some kind of income from it. But, you know, I, I think, you know, there are, you know, there, there could be people who are doing exactly what you are, but maybe coming at it from reverse, like they could be being a music teacher is the first and foremost thing that they decided to do. And that's their calling. And through that, like you said, they may start writing some music and, um, you know, it's just, it's just one of many examples, but um, I wanted to talk to you today because, um, and, and I want to talk to you just a moment about like what got you into composing and what led you to this path. Uh, but you you've written music for for chorus handbells and i was just uh for string orchestra for concert band of course some chamber music and you know i was just looking at your website just your list and you've got um you know just some of the publishers that i see on there that i think you know especially if you're a church musician or school musician you might recognize you know you're on hal leonard shawnee press you're on alfred music and um you know i mean those are just like from being a church choir director for so long it's like those are catalogs that come in like the only one i didn't quite see and that doesn't mean it's not there's hope music it seems like the, those are like the big ones on there but yeah. you, but you're 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 in that you're in those catalogs you're on there and you've got you know it looks like quite a ton of choral music and as and other things so we're we're going to talk more specifically about getting into that but what, what would you describe this avenue of composing i think you said it's like do you call it commercial music or mainstream or um i you know i i like to when i try to explain it to people who aren't in the music world i i, I say you know how you go to a band or choir concert at school mm -hmm. well someone had to write that music for them right. that's where i come in i write right. that music for them right um, so it, it, it is, it, it is com commercial print music. Okay. Um, it's, it's geared toward the world of education. 
Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are there's all kinds of people out there. I'm sure there are people who in high school, they get this this urge to do exactly this and they go to study that. But yeah. if, if I want to stereotype just for a moment, I, I have a feeling that you and I are probably representing two two of the extreme branches of what you can do when you're studying composition. For me, it was film composing. It's like I, I had, right. I, I really wanted to be a film composer and I had to be talked into writing music that would exist outside of a film, you know, like, you know, actually you, you want to write with structure in mind. It can't just be one theme, you know, in a development and, and all that. It's like, but you need to have some structure and, and you should try this. And I had a great composition teacher who encouraged me to <laughs> explore all that. And and he was one that said, okay, you like John Williams, go try Samuel Barber and, and yeah. uh, Sergei Prokofiev, you know, go try some of these and explore your world. Um, now we haven't talked yet, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you had a different background, but I know, but the other common type of uh, route is the person who kind of sees themselves writing these, you know, like, you know, Beethoven's lineage, you know, the, the next great composer writing orchestral music. And, um, you, you know, I, I guess if I was to say the next, instead of the next John Williams, the next John Adams, the next John Corleano or Philip Glass or, you know, or someone like that. So where did, what got you into composing? What was your initial goal? Well, that's a, that's a big question. So um, why don't, why don't I start with like what, what I, where I, where I started writing. Um, I, I was taking um, piano lessons as a, as a kid. And I, I had been in um, a, I'd been in a choir that was, that had like uh, rehearsals that was outside of school. It was an auditioned group. I was about, and, and there was like a training program that helped help the students uh, learn to read and make sense of connecting that with what they were singing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had really good instruction through that. And my sister was taking piano lessons and I decided, Hey, I want to, I want to learn how to play piano as well. And I moved really fast through the books, you know, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> Cause I, cause I, I, I mean, I just kind of, I, I, I inhaled it. I breathed it, you know, yeah. and it, it was very much just a, a part of what I did every day. And I started to uh, just play around on the piano, do some improvisation. And I, I start, I, I, I went into a piano lesson one day and said, Hey, I, I, I came up with this, this tune on the on the piano the other day that I just kind of made it up mm-hmm. um and I, I played it for him and he told me you know Bruce you should you should write that down I was like well I mean what do you mean it's like well do you have some blank composition paper I was like I do I had like a spiral bound mm-hmm. composition book and he's like you, you should write down write down the music I was like okay so I, I was probably 11 or 12 and I went home and I, I wrote, I wrote the music on with my, I was very methodical. I had these perfectly round note heads. And yeah. I, I wrote, I wrote this piece. It was like a ragtime style tune. I was probably working on like a piece in one of my books that was that same style 
And I, I guess I was imitating that, but it was, you know, kind of my own, my own tune. Right. And I wrote it down and he was like, do you mind if I borrow this? I was like, sure. So he, I left it with him and the next week he had it engraved on the Mm. computer oh wow and he printed it out for me he was like this is this is your music print it i was like this i was like how did you do that he's like i used a computer software and i think it was like finale version one maybe yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean this was like the right the late 90s and um i was like is that something that i can do at home and i I started to kind of play around on my computer with, with that. And, you know, the whole point and click, I didn't have like a keyboard to put anything in. It was all point and click. And I was in, I will go ahead to eighth grade. I I had started taking band and uh, I was in chorus at school and there was this competition for, um, what was it called the it was like a, the north carolina reflections contest yeah. I, I don't know okay. if they, i don't know if that still exists or not through the school system and one of the things you could do was was write write music for it i mean it was mm-hmm. like it was, it was many different things with performing and uh visual arts and um composition was was one of the things on there and i i had written a piece for a project about um the pearl um mm-hmm. by John Steinbeck and I had like these three these three sections the good side of the pearl the bad side of the pearl and the pearl lying at the bottom of the sea like that was the project so I had these three little themes on the piano and my soon-to-be high school band director helped me put it into the computer because my sister was already at the high school so we we knew we knew the music teachers there and I ended up winning this local Wake County competition, writing writing this piece. Hmm. And so I just I just kept writing, and I kept wanting to do more. And I, I would learn stuff in you know in choir and in high school band. And I, I would always ask, can I borrow these scores? Like I don't really like. I was like, I don't know how to write for a full band, but I bet if I look at these scores. I can figure it out. And Mm -hmm. at the time I didn't realize I was doing score study, but I was just like, you know, why are the saxophones and the horns always together? Or, you know, why when clarinets and flutes are doing these runs, they are in octaves, you know, you know, so just kind of learning those ins and outs and thinking about the, I would never know how high can they go? Well, in this piece, they go this high. Well, that must, I won't go any higher than that because this has been printed. So that's my good range. (laughs) (laughs) And so I then presented some music to my, uh, you know, I asked my director, I was like, Hey, if I write us a piece, could we, could we like perform it or practice it in, in school? And they were gracious and they, gave of their their class time to let me you know work on a piece of mine in in class Mm. and during all this time I wanted to be an architect (laughs) being a a musician was not a thing and my both my high school choir and band directors were like you need to be a musician and Mm -hmm. you should be they were like you sh- you should continue to write music, but they they knew the ins and outs of the the business and what it's like to be a musician. They were like, 
you should be a composer, but you, you should, you should still teach. I was like, okay. So I went to school to be a, um, a teacher mm-hmm. and a composer. I did, a, I did a double, I did a double major and I always wanted to have one of my band pieces published like the band pieces we did in school. Mm-hmm. So, so I started just doing some research online as best as I could at the time mm-hmm. um, of just, you know, like click, like literally clicking on people's bios and, Oh, this person's the editor of this publisher let me find their website where's the contact and then reach out to them and see what they say and i got i got an uh, i got a contact for robert sheldon um who used to be the alfred um concert band editor for Mm -hmm. for for forever and i was in college when i reached out to him and I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm an aspiring composer and I'd love to have my work reviewed for publication. And I started sending him stuff. And I mean, obviously everything I sent him was rejected. I mean, for years. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, I, you know, I I ended up going back to, you know, I I went to teaching. I, I taught for four years as a, I ended up being acquired teacher I, I went to school to be a band director I ended up teaching chorus um but I but my instrument's piano so um it worked out mm-hmm. and I had choral experience as a as a child and a high school student yeah. um and I started writing for the band there at the at the school where I was teaching and just workshopping some stuff and then I went back to school for my master's and really focused just kind of on my craft and my skill and what I wanted to write and how well to write it and then I started I you know I reached out to Robert Sheldon again and then started sending him some other stuff and they started they started accepting my music um I was starting to figure out you know what was what was what they were looking for yeah, I want to, I just want to ask, you know, just, you know, since we, you know, hopefully have some composers listening, is there like a single example of something that you could say specifically that once, once you real once you started doing this or stopped doing this, it made your music more marketable? I, well, yeah, the first, the first few pieces that I was really trying to get published like i wrote this piece to get it published none of those worked because Mm -hmm. it was either the difficulty is perfect but it's a super boring piece it's bland or this is so super interesting but it's way too hard and it doesn't the balance doesn't work so Mm -hmm. i i just started writing for like hey there's this group they're going to perform the piece i'm going to write for them what works for them specifically and as i was finishing my masters the group that i had um been a part of as a um as a child had commissioned me to write them a choral piece cuz i had i had seen them in person they were like bruce are you still are you still writing music yeah, I'm still, I'm still writing. I just, I'm finishing up my master's. I'm like, we'd love for you to write us a piece. And um, I just wrote for them. I knew yeah. the, 
the accompanist could play great piano and I knew the 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 voices they they could I asked I was like how, how many parts do you want he was like let's do three parts so I did SSA and I was like what what text do you want to use and he sent me this Emily Dickinson poem um mm-hmm. hope is the thing with feathers and so I just wrote it very specifically for them it was performed it was well received at the performance and then they performed it again at the um what was it the piccolo spoleto festival hmm. in south carolina yeah just and um i think at myrtle beach no hmm. not myrtle charleston okay charleston um and i had my i invited my high school choral director to go to one of the concerts and she was like you know my my good friend is friends with the new choral editor at Alfred. You should mm. send it to him. I was like, oh, and it wasn't like, I did not write it for publication. I wrote it for this specific group and I got a good performance. So I sent the piece and the performance saying, hey, you know, this this is a piece we did. It was performed and they loved it. The audience loved it. What do you think? And I heard six weeks later that they wanted to publish it. So it was like, it's like I ended up writing for group that had asked me versus just kind of writing just to write with the end goal of it being published mm-hmm. and I, and I find I find this happens a lot that that there are composers out there that come to me like I want I want to be published and what do I do to get published and usually my advice is write write for performances yeah. and if, if publication happens as a result of those performances, then awesome. But writing just for publication ends up not being your most inspired work. Right. At least that's, that's what I have found to be true. Now, there are, there are some cases where I've written a piece because a publisher has said, hey, we're looking for something this like this, and I have a, I have a hole, would you be able to fill it? And I'm able to provide something. So that ends up being writing a piece for publication. Um, but I, I've, I had been writing quite a bit and, and in, in the business at that point. Um, so I felt like I, I knew, you, you know, every, every piece you write, you, you find new ways to do certain things in, yeah. in your music to be, uh, I, I, there's a composer, uh, Brian Balmages, that I've worked with, and he said the goal is to make the music sound more difficult than it is. Right. <laughs> so you, you know, so like you can write, you could write something that is technically easy for the players, but it sounds and performs as if it's much more difficult. Right. Um, and that that's that's kind of the the way to the way to make it work <laughs> right the x the x factor i don't know so um, a couple I, couple questions i just thought about what um i do do you off the top of your head do you know how many pieces you've had published probably 60 ish 65 okay and, and and you probably don't keep this number in your head but if you had to make a rough estimate how many times do you how many rejections have you gotten to get to that number uh, if you take that publication number and then multiply it by maybe about well so a lot 
hundreds. <laughs> hundreds, yes. <laughs> but so, but sometimes yeah. I have a piece that published. <laughs> before it was published, it was rejected five times. You right. Know? Um, and sometimes I'll have a piece, and the first place I send it, it gets picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's so funny. I had a piece one year that was rejected gosh six seven times and then it finally got picked up by someone and it ended up winning like an award for something online right um that then put it in a like jw pepper does like an editor's choice catalog where they pick the best of the best for the year and then it got put in a special catalog and you know it's so funny how you know every publisher is looking for different things and um you know, I, you know, I had some editors who were like, I just don't think this has any marketability mm. or this is, this is just not something that's going to work for us. And then someone else picks it up and then it ends up selling really well. So I'm like, I, you know, I, it's made me think about on the other side, these editors, they, they sometimes are, they're gambling with what they take and what they don't take. And um, it doesn't always work out on their side either. Um, um, as you've added numbers of pieces to your published catalog, I just wonder, does, do rejections work on a curve? Has that decreased your number of, of rejections? Because now you can, people can say, well, others have taken a chance on him and he's doing pretty well. So, Yeah, I have, I have found the, the rejections have gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I also know there are certain pieces where I kind of have an idea. I'm like, this will probably work with this catalog or this, or like there are some pieces that I know this is way too hard for everyone. Like I wrote a piece for trumpet, horn and piano, and it's incredibly difficult, but I wrote it for a friend who was getting his DMA and um, he was like, I've got a horn player. He, He was a trumpeter. I was like, I have a horn player and a, and a piano player we're all working on our dmas and we just want something to really sink our teeth into mm-hmm. and i was like you know i, I want to write them something that's going to be great for them and they 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 made a great performance of the there was two movements they they did they did a great performance of the first movement and i was like i don't have anyone to send this to it's it's a crazy instrumentation it's super difficult I don't know what to do with this. Well, I started getting emails from people because the the video was on YouTube. They're like, hey, do you, is this piece available? And I'm like, I can make it available. <laughs> um, and it sold a few, it sold a few copies. And I ended up putting it on um, JW Pepper's My Score, where you can you can self-publish. Mm-hmm. And it's it sold relatively well for a piece that I it would have just been that one that one performance it, people have found it because of because of youtube i mean i can't think of any other reason why um and uh i had a i had the professors at davidson college they they found it they were looking for north carolina composers and they found this piece and they performed it and i was able to go to the performance it was awesome and i you know, it was a self-published piece. So right. I didn't end up sending that to anyone because I knew it was just going to be rejected because it, right. it was a very niche market. But for me, if I can sell 20 copies of that piece, that's 20 more people that have 
my music in their hands than would have. And it, it's a totally different market, totally different group of people than who are looking for a choir piece for middle school, you know? So being able to write for just a wide variety of different instrumentations, difficulty levels, and um, styles and lengths has been just really great for me that, that you know, I've like, I could have an orchestra. They're like, we, we want, like I, last year, actually, I had a group in Pennsylvania. They, they wanted a piece for like a grade 0.5 orchestra, which is like the first six notes of a D major scale. <laughs> or you can or you can use open strings and they were like the the hardest rhythm we can do is two eighth notes at a time and it's got to be on the same note you know so it's like super basic yep <laughs> and they're like and we don't know if we're gonna have string bass or not so <laughs> <laughs> and viola and violin two have got to be the same part you know so it's like really thin and um, i added a piano part with it um and it's it's published now it was just performed at the midwest convention last month um and it, it's like a minute and a half and i think i spent a weekend writing it you know nice um and you know other like these this piece i'm writing for wachovia wins i've been spending I've, I've spent months on this thing um but it's it's like a north carolina grade six piece so it's like fully scored and it's going to be six and a half minutes long so it, and it's it's just that's a lot <laughs> a lot of parts uh so, so you, you, you know, it's longer. You, you've mentioned some numbers 0 0.5 and 6 and uh and, and i know you may not have like all the details memorized and there's resources online but just roughly can you can you walk us through the grading system that that you have to consider with band and orchestra pieces sure so so i i was very um uh I wanted to be clear with with saying the North Carolina six because that's different than mm -hmm. how like the the publisher landscape is right. Um, so so when when I when I send to publishers, they they actually want kind of a grade level in mind, and I usually mm -hmm. try to tell them like I I'm gearing toward this level, and hopefully it is. I, I sometimes miss the mark, you know. So I so I don't have it perfect, um, but with with band and orchestra they are on a um, scale of half levels from grade 0 0.5 all the way up most publishers grade uh go up to level five mm -hmm. um, typically like a grade six publisher ready is going to be like a professional group you know like like the new york phil is going to be able to do like so a lot of john williams film scores are probably grade five grade six yeah uh, it's just professional level mm -hmm. um so when we're looking at grade 0.5 for band typically that is the first six scale degrees of the b flat scale uh so there's no leading tone right <laughs> and rhythmically you you don't do anything more than two eighth notes typically they're the same the same note sometimes you can get away with doing stepwise motion you don't want you don't want a lot of skips especially when um with eighth notes if you're doing quarter notes that, that's fine um and articulations are pretty basic 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can have some slurs and st- some staccatos and accents, but that's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you don't really you don't want to put like marcato in there or anything, <laughs> anything right. like that. Uh, it, it's just and really basic uh, dynamics as well. Um, mm-hmm. And for band, kind of want to think low low scale. What is what is the what is a group going to have at their bare minimum? And usually they're going to have flutes, clarinets, saxophones, um, trumpets, and trombones. And then everyone else is kind of doubling. So if you put a tuba part in there, you got to recognize that it's probably got to be doubling something at the octave below. And it's likely that there's not going to be a tuba part. Um, and cause, uh, you know, with grade 0.5, these are beginners. Yeah. So it's usually third, fourth, fifth, sometimes sixth grade, depending on where you are in the country. No contrabassoon um, then either. Right. Pro- yeah, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Might be a little big for those little fingers. Yeah. Um, even just regular bassoon, you, you know, a lot of, yeah. lot of kids aren't going to be started on the bassoon. So a lot of times mm-hmm. with grade five you have trombone euphonium and bassoon just all in the same line and yeah. they all just play in unison mm-hmm. um and sometimes that goes all the way through grade 1.5 mm-hmm. um and it doesn't really split off until you get into grade two and as you go up each grade level typically you start to see um voices will split so first you'll see clarinet split into two parts and then trumpets split into two parts um and then as you get a little bit higher you might see the saxophones split into two parts and then as you get into grade two you might start to see uh tenor sax and french horn can have their own part sometimes but you might want to cue it if they're by themselves so just in case you still don't have those parts there, but you can you can start to give them their own voice and start doing dotted rhythms and you can expand the percussion a little bit more. Um, and then as you get into grade three, you can start to see we've got three trumpet parts, three clarinets. You might want to add a piccolo above. Um, so and then and then the rhythmic landscape gets a little bit more complicated. You can start adding 16th notes and, and triplets and Sometimes you can start putting that in the grade 2.5. Um, and then the length of the piece gets more. The number of keys you can use is mm-hmm. more. Um, and and the, way, the way they put it is they, they put the list of keys, the relative minors, and then you can actually think about using the modes too for those same keys. You can be just basically using those pitches and those scales. Most kids are going to know those figurings for, for those scales. Mm-hmm. And then as you get into like grade four, it's usually whatever is necessary for your piece. <laughs> you, right. They kind of take out like you, you can you can then be be a little bit more free to do as you as you please. And then as it gets more and more difficult, they might put a grade five on top of it, um, depending on how long the, the longer the piece is and the more difficult it gets. You know, you're, you're going to start to see that that four become a five. And it's the same kind of thing for orchestra, except the keys are going to be different. You know, you're not going to start violins in B flat. (laughs) Right. Uh, They they may want to not ever play the instrument again. (laughs) Right. Um, So it's it's the same kind of landscape uh, with just it's tweaking a little bit with 
um, what is what is necessary for strings and thinking about uh, high and low fingerings. Um, it, it took me a little bit of time to get more comfortable with the orchestra levels because I, I never played strings. I, I played in an orchestra, but I, but I played French horn. Right. So doing string orchestra was a was a new thing for me, but I've I found I've gotten uh, pretty co- pretty confident and mm-hmm. competent in writing yeah. for that nice. uh, instrumentation, and and it's been it's been great. Um, so a, a lot of publishers have their grade levels on their websites, mm-hmm. and for the most part, they're all much the same you'll find some discrepancies between publishers. Um, And then you have your state levels that are for like their music performance adjudications. And that's a totally different, (laughs) different thing, you know, so a a publisher grade level four might be a North Carolina grade six, you know, just, just based on what that particular piece is. They kind of do a piece by piece and look at the the specifics of what's in there so they have their own guidelines those are there's a their own palette of what what they expect in their in their music um so you might see you might see the grade levels um inflated a little bit per per state you know and and the texas what might be in texas a grade four might be in north carolina grade five you know it just it just depends on what what every state um, has deemed appropriate for their students. For the standard levels you mentioned, are there are there grade levels that that you get the feedback from publishers that are like they could use more of these types of pieces? I mean, I, I assume that there's probably yes. not a shortage <laughs> of level four and five, but yes. I imagine bef- lower than that because you, you know, as a composer. You know, I, it, when, when you're, when composing is like the main thing you do, you just want to like, just get that music out and you, and y'all can figure out how to play it, <laughs> but, yes. uh, but you yeah. have to think differently. So you know, what are some of the, what are some of the levels that you think have more need, you know, of composers to, I mean, de- there's definitely three, four and five. There's, there's usually plenty of that out yeah. there. Um, and it's, I've found that it's much more difficult to get a piece published the, the harder the harder the music is because mm-hmm. a there's way more music being written in that level and mm-hmm. b there are fewer ensembles that can perform it right um so I found that a grade like 1.5 to 2.5 is mm-hmm. is a pretty great range of need and and if you look in catalogs, you'll see there's a lot more music being published in the twos, the yeah. ones in the twos. And then you get you get into you get further down in the catalog and you look at the threes, fours, and fives, and there might be like one five, maybe two or three fours, and then there's like 15 grade twos <laughs> right. in the same catalog for the year. Um so what I've what I've started doing is Becoming more and more familiar with what is acceptable, I guess, or, or um, the ability-wise that, that that the students can can play, yeah. but then writing it in such a way that 
makes them feel that they are, you know, they're creating something that is, that is new and fresh, but within their capabilities that they can be successful. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's a lot harder than, than you might think because, right. you know, you, you get to a place where you're like, ah, I can't do this. I can't tie this eighth note to a triplet and then them only play the second and third partials of it. And, and you know, yeah. I've got to water it down a little bit, but you kind of get to a place where you get comfortable with the less is more mentality. Yeah. And I've found that I, you know, I write an easier piece of music that I'm like, Oh, is this going to be good enough? Is does this represent me well? And then I hear the like the demo recording of it, and it's mm-hmm. like, man, this this is a really nice piece, and it it sounds it sounds like you know I could hear I could hear a a more professional group playing this, and and it's sounding great because it to me I feel like it's a good piece of music. It just happens to be able to be performed by beginners or intermediate students. Um, so I, I, I don't like to label myself as someone who writes music for, you know, students only. I just write music that can sometimes be performed by students who are learning their instruments. And so it's still, it's still me in those pieces. I'm not, I, I don't feel that I'm completely giving up my, my style or what it is that I have to offer just because I'm not, I've decided not to do these quarter note triplets and then a quintuplet right after, you know, I'm doing just a a simple eighth note pattern instead, but you know, you can find that watering some things down. um, You're still like, it's like the, the puzzle pieces are put together differently to get the same, the same result. Right. Um, so I have, um, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed writing for that, for that, those easier grade levels sometimes. And then, you know, when I get the opportunity to write a, write a more difficult piece, like this piece I'm writing for the Wachovia wins right now, and I can really just put it all out there. Um, you know, it's, that's great. Let's do a little bit of uh, tool talk or nuts and bolts. Sure. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think what, you know, if for anybody who's saying, well, this sounds like, you know, something that I can kind of add to what I do as a musician. Um, let, let's first of all, like, what are the skills as a musician you want to develop? So from what I've gathered from what you've said already, I think score study would probably be essential, you know, to find pieces in those levels and see what it looks like, see what the instruments are doing, how, high they're going how low they're going uh you know obviously just you know understanding some basics about composition you know you know how harmony works and so forth but is there anything else that kind of comes to mind that you know this uh, musician can work on to improve to come up with quality music for these levels oh yeah i I think uh, i think having having your music um performed by real players is is, is mm-hmm. huge i know sometimes that's that's difficult to do um especially if you're not in school anymore um because it, you know sometimes the computer <laughs> it's 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 imperfect yeah um as far as what it's going to really sound like 
balance yeah. wise and it's still a computer you know yeah. and and sometimes you, you get kind of tricked into thinking oh this is so this is so much this is so boring mm-hmm. when in a real setting you know you can have a brass choir play a swell and a whole note and then a quarter note and it sounds amazing but then on the computer it's gonna sound boring you know yeah. so kind of being being able to to transfer what you see paper or on the computer into what is this going to sound like in a real setting and the only way to know how to do that is if you have actually had your music performed mm-hmm. again that's that can sometimes be difficult so if you're unable to do that i think having having someone who has those abilities giving advice on on your music you know having a proofreader having someone look at it um is 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 you know just something that is invaluable you know yeah and also for composers creating or developing a thick skin (laughs) yeah because you know you've got to have you've got to have the ability to hear hey this isn't working this is why here's how you can fix it and then instead of being like well that's not how i wanted it and (laughs) i'm not changing it for anyone else and that is a hard lesson to learn but i have found nine times out of ten if i have an editor tell me let's do it like this instead it usually is is the right decision yeah um i've had a couple times where i'm like eh, i prefer this instead and usually they're 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 good about it unless it's like hey th- this is going to be impossible by a group or you're going to limit who's going to be able to perform this and at what cost you know so i have found that you know developing that thick skin is of essential if, yeah. if you're if you're gonna want to improve your your skills right um and and writing for many different types of instrumentations and yeah. becoming becoming uh you know an expert on all of the instruments not just the one you play right um and i i mean for me being able to play piano has been just the best <laughs> yep <laughs> you know you know hearing all of the voices at, at once yep and and singing on top of it i i, I sing all the time when i'm writing music my family yeah. loves to make fun of when i'm music um and and being able you know i i record all the time you know when that voice memo app came out on my phone that that's been awesome i just i whip it out all the time do ideas i'll I'll set it on my piano and play i'll sing and knowing knowing that it's okay not to use everything yeah you know sometimes sometimes you have to write something out and delete it before you get to what you're going to keep Right. You know? And I just I just did that with this this piece I'm working on for the Wachovia winds. I had this whole section that I was like, this is the melody, this is how it's gonna be. And then I started this other melody. I'm like, you know what? That's a way more interesting melody. What am I gonna do with this other one? And I was like, I'm just gonna delete it. But yeah. I ended up copying it and putting it into another file. <laughs> I was like, right. maybe I'll use it later. I probably won't, 
Yeah. It'll probably never be used for anything else, but I, I don't know, maybe a few years down the road, I might come back to it. Um, but it, it, I don't know that I would have gotten to the melody that I'm keeping if I hadn't written the other one. Right. Um, so I don't know how well I'm answering. Oh no, you're, 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 it's, it's excellent. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of to my point, you know, it, you can say that I'm a composer, but that really, you know, or that I'm composing, you know, as part of what I do, but that in itself involves so many aspects of musicianship that you want to develop. Now you right. mentioned, you mentioned the thin skin, uh, which I, which I, I was surprised, but that's, that is true. Exactly how you described it. But I also, you know, I just want to mention a little bit, you know, on the business side of trying to do that, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing that I know from experience is that, uh, you know, there's, you get rejected more often than you get accepted, especially early on. And um, so I, I think if from a business sense, you know, business tools, you've got to have that thick skin. And, and it sounds to me like you have to expect rejection to be part of the course. And, and I guess, you know, I, I, there's two ways to respond to that. You can say, well, uh, it's just another rejection on to the next but uh, it sounds to me like you've tried to maybe learn from it, like, you know, find out, okay, what did you not like about this? And you've tried to make small improvements to the next thing you do. Would that, would that be how you say? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it, the unfortunate part is sometimes publishers will not give you a reason why. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, a, a lot of times with some of these bigger publishers, they, they just get so many submissions. They'll just say it didn't work for us or, you know, have you ever had a publisher? Cause I have that. You, they never, t this never contacted you. It's like, if you don't hear from us from, you know, in like four or six weeks, it says on our website, we probably yeah. didn't accept your work and, and you never hear from them. <laughs> yes. I have, I have had that happen and yeah. I have found that I, I end up, that to me is a huge turnoff um and i think i think the publishers could do a better job of at least acknowledging yeah that they that they got the work and rejecting it because you know yes i do think you need to have a thick skin but i don't think you need to sell yourself short and right think that your music's not worthy of at least a response you know right i i think that i think the publishing industry could learn a thing or two about that mm. now the publishers that i work with they all they all respond to me yeah the, you know i don't have i don't have a, a current publisher right now that i've ever sent a work with a line like if you don't hear from us then we didn't we didn't yeah. accept your work. I just, I, right. I, I tend to feel that that is the, the publisher is, is set, is kind of taking this attitude of, well, you can't do what you do without us mm. when in actuality, the publisher can't do what they do without the composer. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. right. So I, I, I don't think very unfortunate way to, to do business and right. At the end of the day, if if a publisher is going to take an interest in doing an, an all call for scores, they need to also have the ability to at least, even if it's a, you know, I've gotten the generic, thanks for your work, and 
then you can tell they put in bold print your piece dear or dear submitter or whatever right at least then i know okay on to the next not did it even get to you because i've had some publishers like i've reached out like hey did you get this work and they're like no we never got it could you please resend it and then it ends up getting published i'm like what if i had never reached out i would have been just in my head like oh you you never they never responded so i guess they didn't want it when in actuality they never even got it yeah so i i think i think there there is a there is a little give and take that, yeah. that needs to happen but most most publishers they don't they don't always offer feedback but when i was first starting out and i got those emails we didn't take your piece i would i'd respond like hey thank you for reviewing my music is there anything you recommend that i do differently or or what was there anything specific in the review that you found that would be beneficial to me as a composer you know so i I tried to make it you know a learning experience even as difficult as it was because i was like if i just if i'm grumpy and run off then my goal of publish is is not going to happen because i'm not going to know why why it didn't happen Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I had, I had, I had, uh, Robert Sheldon, he, he wrote me back on a couple of things. I was like, well, they felt like your melodic ideas weren't as strong as some of the other pieces that were, um, mm. submitted. And I was like, yeah. okay, that is, that is something tangible that I can work on. Yeah. Something more tuneful. Okay. Um, or it was the piece, they liked the piece, but it was, they found it was a little difficult for what we were looking for. I was like, okay. Yeah that's something or it was a little too long or they didn't they felt like it was scored a little it was a little too heavy in some places or it's just like i've had i've had some that's like i have no idea why they didn't take it right else, you know <laughs> right <laughs> so now, those happen too you know <laughs> now when it comes to uh you know getting getting pieces out there in, in as high a volume as you can. You know, I kind of think like, well, if you're looking for a job or if you're looking for a college, you know, the it's a good strategy to just apply as many places at once. But correct me if I'm wrong. I think a lot of publishers say that by submitting this particular piece to us, you're not submitting it anywhere else until we've given you a an approval yes. or rejection. So, so it sounds like what you could do is like, if you went ahead and just wrote, uh, six choral pieces, eight choral pieces, whatever you could send them all to different publishers if you wanted, and you know, or you could—I I guess you could send them to the same publisher. But I—I I don't know. I—I I think <laughs> I'm not sure how that would go. But <laughs> yeah, you're—you're—they're—you're you're, you're less likely to have them all published by the same com- by the same publisher all at once. Yeah. Um. I—I ha- I mean, I've had multiple pieces by one publisher in a given year, just. Mm-hmm because of the nature of of how i was able to get get the music out there mm-hmm. but i i've gotten into a rhythm now where the piece i finish the piece i have a folder for either the commissioning party or if it's just something that i wanted to write on my own and then i have a folder for here's the submission version of it right and i will because i'll change the the name of the file so that it's it's always the same so it's very clear here's my name here's the piece grade level or whatever it is or whatever it's for and then i have a i have a subject line that i always do i always say submission colon what the piece is who the um who the ensemble is 
and then I've got my my email that I send it out to. Um, I always know who which publisher I'm sending it to, and then once once that's sent off, writing the next piece. Mm-hmm. So I have a piece in review as I'm working on a piece. And then a lot of times within, depending on the time of year, sometimes I'll hear back within a week or two, sometimes it'll be months, whatever. Um, and when I hear back, if it's a yes, awesome. Now I know what's next. We'll start editing. It'll get ready for production, writing, writing program notes, getting things ready. If it's a rejection, I'll send it to the next place on my list. Yeah. And I, ha- I have this for every single piece. Um, and sometimes I'll send it to, you know, I might send it to Alfred first or I'll send it to Excelsior first or I'll send it to Shawnee Press first, just depending on what the piece is and what I think they might they might be looking for. Right. Um, and, but I'm always writing something, you know, because when I, when I was starting out, I would, I'd write the piece and then send it off and then I would wait with baby mm-hmm. breath. Yeah, I wouldn't write anything until I'd hear back and then I'd hear back and it was rejected. And then I'd mourn and the loss yeah. of this piece. And then I was like, man, I've spent six weeks not working on anything else. So yeah. it's like, I just send it off. I was like, okay, that's done. I'm going to work on the next thing. I'm going to be productive. I'm going to write music. That's what I want to do at the end of the day. And so the years that I've had a lot of music come out, it's because I would send it off. And the piece would be in review while I'm working on something else. Um, I think it was, uh, I'm sorry. I think it was Stephen King. I think it was Stephen King that said, you know, for, for each successful author, by the time they have a new release come out, they're basically finishing up the next novel, (laughs) you know, it's ready to go through its process to be ready the next year. You know, that's true. Yeah. Cause you, cause you could send in a piece to be reviewed so like uh, right now is review mm-hmm. season for 2024 yeah and the 2023 catalogs are coming out in a couple months they're doing other recordings now but i've gotten my call for scores for, mm-hmm. from a couple publishers so i've actually i've actually sent in a couple pieces already to be reviewed if those and those are pieces that i like i finished within the last few weeks so maybe the end of 2022 I then send in a send in the music at the beginning of 2023. If it gets accepted, then it'll go into production and it won't go into print until this time, actually later, probably like April, May of 2024. So if you think about, okay, so there is 15, 16 months mm-hmm. before the piece even came out, how much music have I written to then be ready to submit for the next year? Right. So those first few years, I would like have a piece come out and then maybe the next year I wouldn't have anything. And then the next, the following year, maybe two pieces. And then I finally, I started to, to figure out the system. Yeah. And okay. So this is when they're looking for scores. This is, this is the, the process of getting it into print. And then I can be working on my next, my next pieces for the next year in the time that it's taking to to work on these other other pieces so like i'll be i'll be getting my proofs or i've gotten a lot of my proofs for the music that's coming out already but i've already sent in new stuff for the next year right um that i've just now finished now Um, the um the 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 final aspect of business that i could that i could think of is really important 
is uh, if you get your pieces published, but no one buys them, <laughs> it's it's not it's not really truly a success. So do do the publishers you work with, do they take a big responsibility for that? Or, or are there things that you have to do to um, sell your music? I mean, that's great. I mean, I, I try to do as much as I can on my end as an individual, but I think I think the publishers it's it is at the end of the day their their job to yeah. promote the music um and that that's why we we put it we give them the music to to do with as they will uh because i yeah, otherwise i would self-publish you know yeah so i don't have i don't have the capabilities like like alfred you know they they put these really nice color uh catalogs and they they professionally record everything and then they send their catalogs to all the schools and they have contact with with places all over the world to get this music out mm-hmm. whereas you know i i joke with people it's like what am i going to do with an orchestra piece am i going to go door to door and say hey yeah. you want to buy some orchestra music you know yeah. i mean i have some contacts with some people and th- and it is easier with the internet but but it's still it's still a lot of work to self-publish. It works for some people and they do a great job and that's awesome. And they go for it. If you're, if you're a person who has that drive and is willing to, to travel and go out and work for it, go for it. But for me, I would, I would rather write the music and have a publisher deal with it so that I could spend time writing more music or teaching than promoting, promoting my work. Um, and because doing you know doing true promotion is is full is a full-time job on its own mm-hmm. um so if a piece doesn't do well i i, I sometimes find that it that it is well it, you know, it could be a number of things it could be that the publisher didn't push it enough it got it got buried by another piece that was similar that year or the piece just didn't hit the market in a meaningful way there are a number of reasons why a piece might not do well and i have had a few pieces that i thought would do really well that ended up not doing well and i've had pieces that i'm like i don't know this is going to do very well and then it does well and it's like i I can't figure out the right the the magic ball on that is is always and (laughs) and i will say you know we haven't called out too many publishers but uh you know i just say i have one piece with alfred's and they (laughs) that as far as the internet goes, at least they will, they will really help you. Cause if you type in the title of my piece in Google, it's page after page of like some yeah. Jap- Japanese websites and, and, you know, Chinese websites, like all countries all over the world, uh, you know, where you, that, that distribute where you can get right. This piece, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, that that's, yeah. that's true. I mean, they, they get they get the music out there and I, and I see I see performances from groups from all over the world mm-hmm. um, that I just I know for a fact that if I had self-published it that just would not have happened right um, and I know you know I, I, I have some pushback on that where you can make more royalty wise per yeah. per piece if you sell yeah. it yourself than going through a publisher. But for me, I mean, you're not going to make a lot of money regardless. It's just, it's just not a huge money maker unless 
like you said before, you're a John Adams or Corleano yeah. <laughs> type. Yeah. And really, really just get hundreds and thousands of performances every year of your music. Um, but I do find that, I mean, I have, I have a lot of performances every year that, I mean, I have, I have, I have directors from all over the country that I'm in contact with now that otherwise there would have been no way for us to have been in touch. And those I found, I found videos of, 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 uh, on YouTube of of performances. And I, I ended up reaching out to the directors and just thanking them for performing the the works, um, which has been a great way to connect as well. And those contacts through publication, you know, or at least potential commissions down the road, which is where you can make some pretty good income, right. you know. That's true. Yeah, the yeah. the commissions are where where you can really make it work. And I found that being published through commercial publications has made the it, it, I hate using I hate using this term, but I'm going to do it anyway. It, it, it kind of legitimizes yeah. what I do. I was going to say know? prestigious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, th- there is there is that view from, and and I found it myself when when I've talked with directors when I was first starting out. Like, you know, I'd love to write your group a piece, and okay, that's nice. What do you have? And I'm like, well, here's something I worked on, and it's like me, and I printed it out on my my inkjet, and yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's like nothing. Versus now, I can say, hey, here's some professional recordings on Alfred's website, and they're like, oh, wow, okay. Well, yeah, we'd be we might be interested in commissioning you to do a piece because they've got something tangible and professional that they can they can yeah. listen to and look at, um, and that they're comfortable with because they've bought from those publishers before, so they know. Oh, well, if they've taken you on as a composer, then you know you're it's, it must be good somewhere. So yeah, we'll, right. we'll take a chance on you. And so I, I've found that to help kind of seal the deal whereas mm-hmm. otherwise i don't i don't know that it would have happened now that's not to say that that isn't always the case because i know some composers they have success outside of that that's mm-hmm. just been that's been my experience yeah um i guess the last category of tools is what you know what are some of your tools of the trade what kind of technology do you use for as a composer well i uh, since i was young and i i started with finale version Mm -hmm. three yeah it was a floppy disk um (laughs) and i've just i've stuck with it because that's what i know yeah um a lot of my publishers use finale so that that works really well for me Mm -hmm. um i know some composers use sibelius and that that's great i just i've tried it i just don't I don't know how to use it because it's not something I ever, ever use. So I, I can make a score look really, really nice in finale mm-hmm. um, using, you know, what I know from the gosh, 20 plus years that I've been using it. Yeah. Um, getting on into 30 plus years. <laughs> right. Um, so f- finale is my big, my big go-to. Um, I have used logic. Uh, pro to do do some recording i don't do a ton of recording right um but when i do have to do some i've used i've used logic um because i i've I've got my mac um and and i've I've done that Um, and your voice memo app (laughs) and my voice memo app yeah that is very very helpful um i have a 
Hawaii concert artist um, keyboard. And I, I use that to practice um, for performances. And I also use it to input uh, my music into Finale or Logic. Um, it can do both. And so it's, it's really nice to have the ability to, to have one instrument do all of those things. Cause I know, I know a lot of composer friends, they have, they have the nice drawer with the MIDI controller that's full size, but, and I, you know, I thought about going that route, but I was like, you know, as a, as a pianist, I want to be able to use that piano mm -hmm. to also practice and, and yeah. feel like I'm getting a good, a good instrument that I can work with, but it needs to be digital as well. Mm -hmm. So, so I, so I went the Kawaii route so that it's digital feels because they use wooden keys. Yeah. It feels like a, as real as a digital keyboard can feel, mm -hmm. but then also expedite writing into finale. Cause I can just right. play the notes versus the pointing and clicking, which, which takes, takes right. a long time. Right. Um, I did that. I did that for years. Um, the yeah. pointing and clicking. Um, yeah. I got pretty good at it, but then I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, since it's not something that we're going to focus on too much, I, I will shout out another podcast. Uh, it's also a blog and you may know about it. It's called Scoring Notes. Um, okay. They, yeah. They they cover all the major ones. They cover Finale, Sibelius, Dorico, and sometimes they get people to come on like, here's 20 shortcut tips or something you need, you should know about about this yeah. and like there's there's some ones i didn't know about like i had no idea about on the simple tool uh, it's called repitch and it's like as soon as i discovered like so if you've got say a rhythm pattern that mm -hmm. that that continues the measure but the notes are changing you just you can copy and paste the whole th whole thing and then take the repitch and just change the notes but it'll keep the it'll keep the rhythm ties included all you know all the oh. way across and it's like wow this is so much so much faster and there's there's several tips like that and that that they have and they 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 have a podcast it used to be once a week and now it's a little less regular than that but okay uh, but their I'll blog comes out, out once a week yeah scoring notes I, I would definitely subscribe to the blog because they'll, it'll include links to the podcast when they do one you know and then just yeah. some great stuff on there but um, you know, I also thought, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but we could have, we could have gone a completely different conversation with my other podcast for those who, who know life in the pit, because we did meet as a result yes. of musical theater, you, and, uh, you sure. played, uh, I played third keyboard, you played second, but you also did the reduced orchestration, a specific right. arrangement for a chorus line. And I guess it was no, it wasn't junior. It was like a chorus line, but you know they. Oh, it was the full thing. Yep, yeah, that was a, that was a very fun experience. But uh, you know, it's a di different story for a different podcast sometimes. Sure, perhaps. yeah. <laughs> um, also use finale for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um. What? Uh. Where can people find your music if they, if they're interested for their organization or for themselves? And uh, and if you wish to share, where can people follow you? The best place to, I, I, since I have a lot of different publishers, I've got it all on my website. It's Bruce W. Tippett.com. Tippett is T I P P E T T E. Right. You can go to Google and do Bruce Tippett and you'll probably find it. Um, there aren't a lot of 
tippets, right? Or, you know, to begin with, and then the tippet with the e on the end is even yeah. more rare. So, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's all right there. Um, yeah. Facebook is probably the best place to get in touch with me if if you want to chat. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Instagram as well. But you know, if you if you do the messenger on there, I can I can get back with you. If if you go to my website, there's an email. It's just Bruce at BruceWTippet.com. You can send me an email, it goes right to my phone, and I, I can I, I usually try to respond pretty pretty quickly, unless I've got babies with me or <laughs> singing songs. Um, All right. So yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. <laughs> And that concludes episode four and my conversation with Bruce. And just want to remind you, if uh, you're if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. Please make sure that you've liked this video and that you're subscribing. And if you're listening to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, um, again, thank you for listening. And I just ask it if you haven't already, if you would please be so generous to leave a five star rating and a review. And, uh, and if you don't feel like you can do that in all sincerity, if you did enjoy this episode, I would ask that you share it with at least one other person who you think might enjoy this episode. And thank you for listening. My, my name is David Lane. You can find me and the podcast on social media, Instagram and TikTok at David Lane Music, on Facebook at David M. Lane Music, and of course on YouTube at David Lane Music One. One word, David Lane Music One. Of course, be back with you next Monday, but I think I'm going to be back with you before then. I've got a short episode that kind of leads into my next interview. So watch out for that. That'll probably be Thursday or Friday. That'll be episode number five. And then I'll be back with you right after that with episode number six. Thank you for listening.